And we are live. Welcome to episode 3099 of the Survival Podcast. That, I don't know, it just seems kind of epic. It, think, it seems a little more epic than tomorrow's episode, which will be 3100 is for some reason, even though I, I generally like rounded off numbers with my OCD or Asperger's or whatever you want to, pattern, uh, pattern recognition, whatever it is. I like zeros and fives, right? But, 3,099 episodes of the Survival Podcast. What do we got going today? Well, we have an Outback with Jack episode. This is a variety show where we talk about a bunch of stuff. And I'll tell you, most of, not all of, but most of today's stuff is kind of topical. Uh, some stuff that's in the news, some stuff that everybody's worried about for the, the here and the now. And so someone listening to this particular episode six months from now may or may not really get a ton out of it. I, I don't like to only do those shows, but they do result in a lot of people listening, sharing, downloading, etc. cetera. Uh, my live feeds are generally uh, more inhabited when we do that. Uh, and the darker I go, the more of you show up. And today's not all dark or anything, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But I already see the head count coming up rapidly uh, from all the different sources. But uh, tomorrow, I want to do a counter show. It's also going to be an Outback with Jack. If you follow me on MeWe, you can find a post I did said, hey, what do you want to hear about? I want no crypto, no news, nothing like that. Uh, I want it to all be things that like how do I or what can I do? Uh, homesteading, permaculture, gardening, livestock, all that other stuff. Today, we'll only talk about that a little bit, though. What are we going to talk about today? Well, um. I've had some interesting discussions on Twitter since uh, I've been unshadow banned and it's actually providing me value for you. So even if you don't use Twitter, that's fine though. You can follow me there. I am at the survival pod C on Twitter and I really have had a big problem with the whole my experts say argument. And it occurred to me, there's a way to fix the experts using cryptocurrency, or it could be something else. It could be something else. I don't know what we, we I don't care if we do it dollars, but I, I think Bitcoin would be a better way to do it because it's a technology that would enable it. But the term that someone who follows me on Twitter used, he said, I love this. It's monetizing the truth. How do you monetize the truth? We'll talk about that today. Uh, I have a lot of questions about running lightning nodes. Can it actually be done profitably? I'm going to explain how to think about it differently. And I would just say, is running a web server profitable? I pay $700 a month, a little bit more than that, actually, for the web server that I run the Survival Podcast on. $700 a month. Is it profitable? Yes, but why? But why? That's one of my favorite things about Nicole Sauce from the Expert Council. She's really good at asking, but why? Like like a five-year-old. And we need to do more of that. So we'll do a little bit of that today. Rain catchment. We do have a how-to practical thing. Somebody asked me about building a great big in-the-ground wicking bed, something that would look like a raised bed from above, but it would have a big water reservoir underneath it. And they said, well, would it make sense to take my roof water and put it into there and then let it push through there? Yeah, but there's a hell of a lot better way to do this, and we'll talk about that because this is a show that is about a better way to do this. We even have a song that says so, right? Uh, then somebody had an interesting comment on, on a YouTube video from one of last week's shows. Said, well, if humans are supposed to eat meat, why are we so good at digesting starch with the enzymes we produce in our saliva for pre-digesting starches and all? Ken Berry even weighed in on that. But I'm going to talk about 
this whole idea that because you can do something doesn't mean that that's what you should do, or why can you do it when it's an evolutionary standpoint? Uh, the short version would be, I can very well, if I wanted to, take my penis, put it into a beehive, and then beat on the roof of the beehive. Nothing prevents me from doing that. My penis will fit right in into the beehive. It'll work, and I'm at just the right height that I can pound the hell out of that beehive. It doesn't mean that it's a good idea, right? We'll see. Um, I know I told a version of that joke one time. A guy told me he almost wrecked his car listening to it. Uh, I think it's funny, but maybe not that funny. I think another guy told me, I said something about eating, what was it? It was eating a vegetable burger, like a fake meat hamburger, was 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 akin to having sex with a rubber woman. And he said he almost got his thumb off with a, with a power saw working on his roof. So be careful when you listen to the TSP that my humor, uh, however it hits you, doesn't uh, take something out, you know. Uh, but I also told you last week that everything they crash, they buy. And I said... BlackRock will own a major trucking company by the by August. And I might be wrong on the timeline. Maybe it'll take till September. I don't know. But BlackRock will buy a, a major transportation and trucking company. And I have proof now that even if they don't do it, they're angling for it. I mean, I have 100% certifiable proof, little video that I'll show you, that, by the way, has been pretty much memory hold uh, since it came out. Um, next, monkeypox is nothing but fear porn. I know I've told you that. Most of you believe that. But I have a great little video of Dr. Robert Malone, uh, co-inventor of the mRNA technology that says not to get the clot shot, telling you why monkeypox is fear porn. And I will tell you, I also have a message for you guys that are pushing back against the monkeypox narrative. Good for you, but don't say stupid shit. Don't say demonstrably provable stupid shit in your attempt to argue against it because you weaken the argument. And this centers on the warp speed of the monkeypox vaccine. There is no monkeypox vaccine. There is no monkeypox vaccine. It doesn't exist. There is a vaccine you can use for monkeypox. What's the difference? Some of you remember from last week. I'll hit it when we get to that segment. Um, if you want to know what fully domesticated humans look like, we're going to talk about Europe. And one of my favorite people, but how every time I listen to him, I'm like, damn, Europe's done. Europe's done. He's in the crypto space, but it's not a crypto conversation. Uh, and by the way, I really admire the guy. I think he does great work, and I think he's going to get there. But the struggles he's having with getting there tell me that somebody that's not already where he is, it's a European today, you are more domesticated than my dog. My dog is more wild than you are, and I don't think Europe's going to make it. I, I really don't. And I, I wonder how long we are from being there if we don't step in and do something to protect our children from this full-on domestication. Next up, um, some of you say, I really want to learn more about Bitcoin, but it's hard. What if I told you there was an incredible course? I mean, like basically like the quality of a college course, but designed for somebody to start in it that maybe knows a lot about already and wants to learn more or somebody that, that knows nothing will be able to take this course and do really well with it. But it's a, a great instructor. It's incredible content. And it's over 12 hours long, and you get a certificate of completion when you're done with it. Just an awesome, awesome course. You're going to say, and how much is it, Jack? Is it $49.99 or $99.99? It's absolutely free. It's absolutely free. And I'll tell you all about it. Um, and it comes from our good friend, Michael Saylor. And uh, I'll tell you, I want to share a little bit more about the educational resource uh, that Michael Saylor is providing Uh 
Some of it that applies directly to colleges. Colleges will take the courses as credit, and you can take them all for free, and I think that's really important. Uh, the Ministry of Truth didn't even last as long as CNN+. Plus. Many of you know this. I didn't really you know, elbow it off the top rope when it happened last week, but I want to talk a little bit about how it may not be the victory we think it is. And then we're going to fill up, finish up today with total optimism. Why right now, as the blood runs in the streets, is the time to build your future, to build your life, to build your wealth, to build your business, to build your homestead. If you can't build while there's blood in the streets, you never will. And we're going to talk about that today. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day today. Sponsor today number one today is KnifeKits.com. I'm big on skill sets, guys. Big on skill sets. I think people should learn how to do shit. But what I've learned about learning is that when it comes to a hard skill, like let's say how to use a file or how to use epoxy to epoxy metal and wood together uh, and things like that, that unless you're doing something with it, people really can't get into it. But if you're making a knife, you can really start to develop some skills. You can develop skills to become a hobby or a business, or just something fun to do, and you can make heirlooms that you can pass down to your family with your kids. Learn more about how to do all of that at KnifeKits.com, and yes, they do a discount for the members of our support brigade. So you want to know more about that, the survivalpodcast.com forward slash members, the membership program that it's not just pays for itself, it's profitable if you use the discounts. Next up, the Free State Project. Is the Free State Project right for you? I don't know. I don't know. I love what they do. I love what they're all about. I love the community they've built. But is it right for you? No possible way I can know. And you know what? You don't know either. You don't know either. What would it be like to live in New Hampshire? What if you could take a vacation to New Hampshire, beautiful place, enjoy yourself and your family, and by God, the Green Mountains this time of year. Uh, I'm sorry, the Green, the White Mountains. I'm transposing Vermont and New Hampshire. They'll never forgive me. They'll probably pull their sponsorship out. The White Mountains in the summertime are just absolutely gorgeous. You want to check out a little town called North Conway while you're up there. And uh, get in touch with them, and then they will help you during your vacation. You'll meet some cool people. They'll tell you where to go, so it's all not just the touristy stuff. And you can get a good understanding of, like, is this a place you'd want to live? To learn more, go to fsp.org forward slash visit NH. Visit NH. fsp.org forward slash visit NH. Let's dig on into this now. Remember, if you have comments or questions for me and you would like me to respond to them at the end, sometimes I do it on the fly. Mostly I kind of put them in a little list and we come back at the end and we talk about all the all the questions and comments and things you have. All caps for at least first few words. I'll probably see it. Can't guarantee. I'll probably see it. I'll start it. It'll go on the list. If you're making a point or a question about something I've said, after you do it, give me some context so that I know what you're talking about. Sometimes it's obvious, but a lot of times there's comments or questions there, I'm just like, I don't know what you're talking about. We just did an hour and a half of content on 20 subjects, and I don't know what this is about. So anyway, let's uh, let's roll on. I want to start out with our lead story today, um, or our lead idea today, I guess, start with a story. Monetizing the truth. So I have had it way above my head. I feel like I'm under 400 feet of garbage and shit. With the fact that deep, detailed, really important things that should be rigorously debated in our society are just absolutely blanketed with my experts say. I find this to be reprehensible. It's certainly not 
scientific by any means. It's not scientific. If you don't have rigorous academic debate in public about an idea, you don't have science. You don't. When scientists are threatened, when doctors are threatened, when economists are threatened with, if you go outside the norm, we'll destroy your career, we'll cut off your grants, etc. cetera, we, we don't have science. I think we absolutely need to hear from experts. I don't want to silence experts. I want to be clear about what an expert is and what an expert is not. So I made a statement on Twitter this weekend, and I said, people that have no consequence for being wrong have no business being referred to or calling themselves experts. You don't get to be an expert, run your mouth, have policy made based on you and your buddies running your mouth, then be wrong, obtain no negative consequence, and get to do it again and again and again and again, and constantly be wrong, but always be propped up and be a fucking expert. That's not what an expert is. A true expert not only makes a statement and prediction and says, this is what we should do and here's how it should do. If it works out, they say, we got it right. Now let's move on to the next thing and try to get it right again. And, and they admit fully, we will not always get it right. Or they say, when it's wrong, shit, we were wrong. Here's why we got it wrong. We need to learn from this. And nobody does this because there's no incentive in the system for people to correct being wrong. In fact, it hurts them. when they. That's the only thing that hurts you is to come out publicly and say you were wrong on a mainstream push narrative, even when the mainstream narrative changes. Even when the mainstream narrative changes to, to, to a point where you were wrong, you can't go back and say you were wrong because then they were wrong and you must be destroyed. And I believe the free market is the way that you solve just about every problem we have when it comes to things like interactions between humans. So what I said we should do, this was like my next one. You want to be an expert. For every category you want to be an expert in, and maybe we can even share bond across like up to three or four categories. You want to be seen as an expert in. There's a site, myexperts.crypto or myexperts.btc or something like that, right? My, my expert, myexperts.lightning. We, we should call it something better than that. It should be marketable. And you go there and you set up a profile, kind of like a LinkedIn profile, all the reasons you're a my expert. But then before you get to say jack diddly shit about anything that you want to be on the record for and you want to collectively be able to say with your expert buddies and your expert subject, you have to tender consideration. You have to put up money. And since you're a freaking expert and you're good at what you do and we should listen to you, it has to be money that can hurt. Somewhere in the neighborhood of five to $10,000 a USD value. I think Bitcoin on the Lightning Network is perfect for this. But I don't care if it's run by the freaking Central Bank of the United States as long as it's run in an open source where it can be seen in its actual dollars. I don't care. I like the idea of Bitcoin because your stake will become worth more over time and the consequence of your stupidity will cost more over time. All right. And the way it would work is if you're going to weigh in on something that should be seen as something the media should report, if it's going to be something that people should do, a policy government should make, a, a thing that, that industry should do, anything that's like this thing means we should do X, Y, Z, then you have to be specific. So when you are one of my experts, right, from the Associated Press, and you make a statement that if we don't act in 10 years, it's the world's going to end, and you do that in 1989, when 1999 comes around and the world's still here, and all the shit you said didn't happen, you lose your money. 
Now, where's the money go? Does Jack Spirico get it? No, 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 no. I think what should happen is you make your claims, and then that claim locks up a piece of your stake for a time. We call that a smart contract in crypto. And as your time limit runs out, your stake unlocks. If you were correct, it goes back to you. If you were wrong, all the experts who have a track record of being right for that time frame, let's say one-year time frames, it distributes to them. The experts that are right absorb the losses of the exports experts that were wrong. All of a sudden, being an expert who thinks before they act and doesn't try to appease the masses and get grants from Fauci is rewarded. But more importantly, the pricks that say whatever the agenda wants them to say suffer. And when your balance goes to zero or your balance goes below a certain bogey, because it's not, I'm not building this. You could build it if you want to. When your balance goes below a certain level, you shut the up. Okay. You shut your freaking mouth or you restake. It's a pay to play system. And don't go telling me it's not fair to make them pay to play. No, it's not fair is for all of us to suffer for their bad decisions, their bad recommendations, etc. And when it happens that they were wrong, and we've, we've destroyed our economy, we've ruined a generation of our children's freaking lives, uh, or their education, or what have you, and they're wrong, that they don't suffer for it. That's what's unfair. And if it's, if it's fair to charge a person $20,000, $30,000 a year to go to college, It's reasonable that somebody with 87 initials after their name that wants to be an expert put up money that they don't lose, by the way. Anytime, I think this is how this would work. Anytime you want to say, I withdraw all of my, all of my recommendations, all of my statements about the way I think things are, you pull your stake, you're publicly, hey, look, this guy said everything he said, he's, he's taken back. You take your stake, whatever's left of it or whatever you've made, and you go away if you want to monetize the truth. Is that the best way to do it? I don't know, but I bet you. I bet you there's a way to do this. And I think we should be doing this in many different situations where people are making statements that are to be trusted and then decisions are made on those statements. That person should post some form of a bond. That's all this is. It's a bond. And all this would mean, all this would mean is that you think before you go out and you make this statement. What about all of the people? Here's an example. Not to be political, but here's an example. 40 or 50 some odd freaking, you know, intelligence uh, experts and, 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 you know, intelligence community members uh, went on record and said that Hunter Biden's laptop being found in a pawn shop was a Russian disinformation scheme. And they got to influence the election. Whether or not it actually turned the election, I don't know. I don't care. But they did, it did, you can't say it didn't influence the election. And then it was used as a shield for people like the, the entirety of mainstream media, Twitter, Facebook, etc., to silence and shut the story down right before the election. And those people who put their name down have never borne a single consequence. And they were wrong. Now, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care about the politics of it. I care that they did not suffer consequence for being wrong. I care that they did not suffer consequence. Okay, moving on. 
I want to talk about lightning nodes real quick because I'm getting tons of questions about them. And I, again, I think the number one people are getting number one reason people are getting start nine servers is to run a lightning node. If you want to do that, that's great. I don't think that's why you should get one. I think you should get one to enable end to end fully encrypted chat between yourself, your friends, and your contemporaries, and, and be the 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 way to do that to manage all of your files, to manage all of your passwords, to take control of your digital sovereignty across the board, not just with lightning. If all you want to do is turn up a lightning node, good news, you can do it in about five minutes. There's a service called Voltage. I'm not endorsing it just yet, but you can go set up a lightning node for twelve dollars a month. And if you don't know what you're doing, which I don't fully yet. Um, you can sit there and look at it and it doesn't do anything. Okay. So, and there's going to be more and more services like that. But let's talk a little bit about the, just the general question is running a lightning node profitable? Can you make money doing it? Again, is running a web server profitable? The answer is it can be. And there's lots of ways running a web server can be profitable. One way is you run a server like I do. You host a show, you put out content to lots of people, you sell advertising and memberships with it, you maintain complete control of your content so no one can shut it down, and you distribute your content by doing a show every day, five days a week, all over the world. And because you're running your own server and you're running enough horsepower, you can, you can have millions of downloads of audio files a month, and your server doesn't crash, and somebody doesn't say, we don't like what you're saying, so they shut your server down. That's one way. Well, you could also take the same box that I own, especially if you have a guy like Tom who helps take care of it for me, and say, I don't want to do all that. I can, I'm going to sell web hosting. So you could pay $700 a month for a big badass, you know, metal box like I have sitting in a colo facility. And if you sell hosting for, let's say, $50 a month, once you have more than 14 customers and you pay your Tom or you be, you be your own Tom, you're profitable. Okay. You could also buy really cheap hosting, $25 a month, $20 a month, $15 a month from HostGator or somebody, Bluehost, whoever. Throw up a website on it. That's all you do. You run a little website, not a great big giant website. If you sell $5,000 worth of shit, that's pretty profitable unless you're selling at a loss, which is a different problem. But when you do any of those things, And this is why it's exactly like running a lightning node. And we have to stop thinking of a lightning node like running a mining rig. They're so different. You, let's take the easiest one to understand. You got your little website, joeblowslittlewebsite.com. And it does Joe Blow's widget sales. And you set it up on the internet. Great. You have a website. There it is. And you can turn it up that quick. You can go to a host, automatic install WordPress, throw a theme on it. And with very little skills, you can put together a five-page website, who we are, what we're all about, Here's our blog. Put a blog post in every day. And here's our widgets for sale. Install WooCommerce. Boom. You are ready to go. You have a full operational online web store. Okay. It's actually a little more technically difficult, but a little bit better understood at this point in history than it is setting up a lightning node. And what do you have? You have a store in the middle of the Mojave Desert. No one knows about it. There's no, you know, giant I-95 or I-20 going straight by it. It's just sitting there in the middle of the desert. And then you have to basically build roads to it. So we get some links from other websites. We get in the search engines, and we start doing something called marketing. And eventually, we're building roads to the site. 
And the more roads we build to the site and the better we operate the site, because we can build the same number of roads, the same amount of traffic to two different websites, and one website will never make a single sale, and the other website will make money because it's done better. It has a better widget, it has a better sales funnel process, it has a better better content, whatever. It looks whatever. But you, if you don't build the roads, you can have the best site ever, best product ever, best pricing on it, best customer service, and you make no money. Without getting into the particulars of running a lightning node today, a lightning node is the same but different, man. It's like that. And I think one of the reasons to learn more about lightning nodes is because if you understand how lightning nodes work and how what they call liquidity exists on the front and back side of it. See, when I first heard this, I misunderstood it. I thought it was more like proof of stake than it is. It's kind of like proof of stake, but it's not. I figured that just meant, well, all I got to do is take $1,000 worth of Satoshis and deposit it to the front side, $1,000 on the back side, and there I am. I have $2,000 worth of throughput liquidity, 1000 on the back, 1000 on the front. doesn't work that way. You're using something called a liquidity swap. And what happens is you have two nodes, and you can send send money to yourself. And that opens up the back channel. And you can send money through somebody else's node. And if you go to do that, if I go to send money through your node, you're probably going to open up a channel. Okay? You're going to open up that channel. And when when I send money through, it's going to hit on the back side of your channel. And some of your liquidity on the front side of your channel is going to go out. You still, let's just say we're going to use a number like five. Five sets, five Bitcoin, five jelly beans. Doesn't matter. And, and right now you have one jelly bean on one side and four jelly beans on the other side. I sent a jelly bean to this side. You now have two on the back side of your channel, right? And you've let go of one on the other side of your channel. So instead of having one and four, you now have two and three. It's confusing. But it's called liquidity. And you can even partner with other nodes that are active to do something called liquidity swaps, which is, get this, exactly how global banking works. Except it's not global banking. I'm not going to get into that today. But if you understand Lightning, you will understand global banking. And as soon as I realized that, I understood Lightning because I already understood global banking. And those that want to say that means it's fractional reserve or whatever, it's like saying we have this thing called a car. And the way we make that car go is we grind up children and pour the remains into the gas tank. Because it's not a gas tank. It's a ground up children tank. And the car goes places, and, and that's that's how it runs. And then somebody comes along and says, I think that's a bad idea. Here's a better idea. What if we make a car that has a bunch, bunch of batteries in it, and you plug the car in to an electrical outlet, and the car runs on electricity? Don't worry about your prejudice against electric vehicles. We're just going to jump there so we don't have to get into the fossil fuels thing. And by the way, those that want to can get a full kit, you can put these things up on your roof to catch the sunlight, and they'll charge a car. It costs more money, it takes more work, and you have to learn some technical expertise to do it. And the response is, that's just another way to burn up children. Well, that would be stupid. Well, fiat currency is grinding up your children's futures and enslaving them in debt. Using Bitcoin to do it is not. The analogy works. And so it's not the same just because it works on the same principles of liquidity because you change the underlying 
fundamental from a liability in debt-backed fiat currency to a fully capped asset that's digital and liquid 24-7 around the world. So just for those of you that are like, fuck, he's over my head. I'm sorry. I have to give both sides of this. But those of you really excited about running Lightning Nodes, you're going to have to learn about all of this. And then you'll open up profitability in many ways. One way you can do this, you build a badass node, you can actually sell liquidity to other nodes that, that need liquidity. Because maybe I just build a badass node. Maybe this guy's building some sort of uh, technical application, uh, something for serving merchants or something. He needs more liquidity. He'll buy an opening in the channel from me. That would be one way. You can charge fees for the sats that flow through. There's a lot of ways to monetize. And the people that are going to do the best are going to get really good at managing a node or they're going to run applications that when they pull that into their node, they're pushing lots of traffic through their node. It's like running a website. I hope that makes sense. Let's move along to a practical application of permaculture and homesteading. So I just did a great show. I thought it was great anyway about wicking beds and said so wicking beds are something everybody should at least consider. A lot of cool shit you could do. And I said, you don't just have to have a wicking bed being some sort of a container, you know, that has media in the bottom and water and then soil on top and it wicks up and you, you fill it up. It could look like a regular garden bed. It could be a huge regular garden bed with basically a subterranean pond. I mean, if you think about it, if you were to put in, let's say you dug a foot down and you did a four foot wide, so fairly narrow, but 30 foot long raised bed and you had a foot of soil above grade and a one foot deep reserve of water below grade, that's a, I mean, a foot deep. 30 by 4, that's kind of a pond. You could put some fish in there if it wasn't in that form, right? If it actually was water, they could swim around it. So somebody emailed me and said, well, that's cool. What if I build a really big raised bed? I put a pond liner in it, like you say, and I make a wicking bed out of it. And then what I'm going to do, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to take my drain pipe that's already coming down the house and push it into the raised bed. So that when it rains, I push water into and through the raised bed. And that way I keep it topped up with the rainfall. It's actually a bad idea to do it that way. And I'll tell you why. It will not take much of a rainfall on a standard roof to exceed the capacity of the raised bed. And to push way more water through that raised bed than it can handle. And therefore, other than the first little bit, it's a lot of work for not a lot of gain. The other problem is you're going to so overwhelm your system that you're going to flush a lot of nutrients straight through your bed. And, of course, we know that the key to good gardening is to keep nutrient in the bed. So what would be a better way to do it? A better way to do things would be go out and get some sort of water reservoir system in place. Anything from a great big black poly tank that you can buy for about eight, like a 1,500 gram. I don't know now. Prices are stupid. Back when I put them in a 1,550 gallon black poly tank was about 800 bucks. And it was less if you would go to the supply place and get it yourself instead of buying it from like Atwoods or Tractor Supply. Or you, you find somebody selling uh, IBCs on, you know, Craigslist or whatever or uh, Facebook Marketplace and go buy and plumb together a bunch of 300 plus gallon, you know, 330 gallon IBCs. Ten of those is 3,000 gallons. 
and you put them somewhere where they're kind of shaded in or whatever and, and don't, you know, paint them black, do whatever you got to do to keep them from turning into skank tanks. And uh, you run your rain catch into there. And then you run your overflow into wherever you think it makes sense. Probably wherever your water from your roof goes now, right? Unless you tie in a swale and you do an orchard or something, that would be the best way to do it. Then you plumb your water catchment reservoir, your poly tank, your IBCs, whatever it is, to your wicking bed. And then in your wicking bed, you install a float valve. And whenever your wicking bed drops, the, just the, the, the gravity pressure of your re reservoir, your combination of your volumetric and your, your, your elevated head pressure, fill the wicking bed back up. And then the, the level in your reserve goes down, and it keeps doing that until your tanks are out. Now, why is this better? Well, one, we, we get rid of all the problems. Two, if we have 3,000 gallons of capacity, we can actually really capitalize on a significant rainfall event. We can actually catch enough water for it to make a difference. And then on top of it, let's say that we are in a drought and we have no foreseeable rainfall coming anytime soon and we're at like 25% capacity in our reservoir. What do we do? Well, we take our garden hose and we put it into our tank and we fill them up. And then we go on about our lives. See how much better that is? So just think beyond taking one thing and tying it to another. Always ask yourself, is there something that could go in the middle of tying these two things together would mitigate problems and improve results? So that's just how I, I look at everything. And, uh, again, if you're asking questions or, or what have, have you, go ahead and uh, use all caps in your stuff. I'm, I'm trying to start those stuff as we go. All right, next up, this is an interesting one for me. So somebody... Thought they had a silver bullet argument with me about my stance on human beings are supposed to eat meat and fat as our primary caloric intake. And they said, but hey, we, uh, we produce a lot of this stuff called alumnase in our saliva. And because of that, we are excellent at digesting starches. And that means humans are supposed to eat starches. I don't know what they said in response to that because they said that their posts were being removed. I said, I'll listen to anything you have to say. And I'll tell you what I asked them to do in a second. Um, and I did see a comment come up that said my posts are being removed. And I said, I'm not doing it. I went and looked in like the uh, filtered spam shit. Nothing was in there except a bunch of porn and spam in Espanol. Um, go ahead, post. I still haven't seen anything. I haven't got an email telling me how to counter the argument. Um, but I said then, okay, fine. That's cool. Where did humans prior to modern agriculture, which is at best about 10,000 years old, And, and honestly, for the majority of the world, less than four to 5,000 years old. And for much of the world, I didn't say this, but for much of the world, modern agriculture feeding society is like a thousand years old or less. Because there were tremendous numbers of hunter-gatherers all over the world who, even when we had cities and civilizations and ag and, you know, grain storage and all that shit, they still didn't live in that world. They lived in their own little world, largely unaware of what the rest of us were doing. And other than the tropics around the equator with things like wild figs and stuff like that, the ability for a human being to live off of carbohydrates and starches was almost, it was almost impossible. It was almost impossible for most of human history. This is not, there's some things that are in my opinion. I always try to, here's my opinion over here. And you're welcome to tell me to shove my opinion up my ass. 
informed or not, you're welcome to tell me that. And then there's facts. This is fact. If you go through the vast majority of this planet where humans occupied prior to modern agriculture, which I'm not talking about combines. I'm talking about, yes, the ancient pharaohs and people out, you know, with sides. And I'm, that's what I'm, when I say modern ag, I mean what we think of. We plow the field, we plant the grain, we store the grain, we eat the grain. Prior to that, the vast majority of civilization had no access to easily available starches and carbohydrates throughout their year. They did not. Again, this is not opinion. So where did they get the starch to develop this ability to live on starch if that's the case? The answer is they didn't. John, uh, I'm sorry, I was reading somebody's comment there, and I said, I was going to say John Wells. Uh, Ken Berry commented, I said, it's so we don't starve to death. And I think that's true, but I also think it's an oversimplification. So I, I, I think this, this is what I think. Most doctors have all the knowledge they need if they would think for themselves to put together what I'm about to tell you and realize, well, this is how it works. This, what they learned in medical school and their, their pre-med science and all that is all the information you need to understand how this works. And it's going to, I'm going to revolve it around vitamin D. D3 is the single most important hormone. It's not a vitamin, a hormone in our body for immunity. It is the single most important hormone. I didn't say thing, hormone in our body for immunity. If you're vitamin D deficient, things that other humans easily fight off can kill you, like McCovades. And even if it doesn't kill you, it can make you a lot sicker. And if we didn't have all the, the conveniences of the modern world, which is even something like a roof over your head every day and, and thermostatic control and clean water, being vitamin D deficient 5,000 years ago was probably a lot worse than being vitamin D deficient now. And they also didn't have little bottles of it where you could just take pills of it, right? So we know the D is very important. We also know fundamental reality, again, not opinion. Even if you're running around mostly naked all the time, first of all, you're not gonna in the winter because it's freaking cold. So humans will use that big brain to like get warm by producing something called clothing. But even if we ran around naked in the winter, outside of the tropics and subtropics, we produce very little D3. Very little D3. Okay. So why didn't everybody die? Why are we still here? How did our ancestors slog through all this shit to make it? The human body, and this is, this is factual, stores D3 like a battery stores energy in our fat cells. We evolved to put on fat in time of plenty and live off of it in time of thin. Just like a bear puts it on and goes to hibernation and slowly burns it, we just stay awake. We don't burmate or hibernate. You know, snakes and reptiles burmate, uh, bears and some other mammals hibernate. We go on with our lives, but we live off that fat. And when we're drawing from that fat, we are obtaining vitamin D3. Additionally, when we kill an animal with a lot of fat, that's where we can get dietary D3. So we have two sources in our winners for 70% of the planet of D3, our own fat and the fat of animals. And we know that the animals have less fat in the winter as well, and that fat doesn't store well. The best way to store fat is on the body and drawing from it. So why would we be able to digest starches? Because if you combine starch, which is sugar, make no mistake about it. You give me a pound of bread, 
a pound of potatoes, white potatoes, pound of white bread, pound of sugar. I'll put all three into a still and give you the same amount of ethyl alcohol. The only thing that can make ethyl alcohol is sugar. It's all sugar. If you combine fat and sugar, it is a recipe to swap the relationship between insulin and glucagon and increase the fat you hold on your body. Right? So we were, we evolved to put fat on rapidly in the springs and summers when short duration carbohydrates were available and we could still kill something and eat it with it. So fat and sugar equals fat on body. Fat and protein minus sugar equals fat off body, which is exactly the way the human fat battery is supposed to work. Time of plenty, lots of available D3 from the form of solar radiation running around mostly naked because we didn't give a shit because nobody told us we weren't supposed to yet. Lots of D3 on a daily basis, more than we need. We store it like batteries in a solar system. Fall comes, we really have to now fully live off meat. There are no carbohydrates available. As we burn the fat, we release the D3. That's why we're good at digesting starch. So when Ken Berry said, so we don't starve to death, he was right. He just didn't explain it. There's your explanation. That is not my opinion. That is how biologically the human being existed for the majority of the time that human beings walked around on our two feet on the planet. We know that that number now is way bigger than science says. We have conclusive evidence. There's a little opinion here because there's some contention about whether the evidence is evidence. But I've looked at the evidence, and I think it's damn solid that human beings were here at least 300,000 years ago. If we go 300,000 minus 10,000 where we can even talk about living on agricultural crops, that's 290,000 years of evolution of a human being absent easily available starch for more than 70% of the population. That is not freaking opinion. That is not opinion. That is biological and scientific fact. And if we had monetize the truth dot crypto, I would stake that shit right now and dare somebody to prove me wrong. Anyway, moving on. So I told you guys last week what everything they crash, they buy. And I said BlackRock will own an oil company. I'm sorry. Will they might do that too, but will own a trucking, a major trucking company by August. That's a very specific prediction. I might have hedged that one a little bit if I was on my experts.crypto. Uh, but I think it's a pretty good prediction. And I'm about to show you why I think it's a pretty good prediction. Now, this video is a little bitty video that somebody captured off of TikTok. And it's not the best quality for image, but the audio is fine. I have this video and another video to show you next. Totally different subject on the second one. I have, I have no controls on the volume other than turning it all the way up, uh, in the view, in the, in the view screen. So that's what I'm going to do. You might have to turn your volume up to listen to this. If you're on audio, don't do it. I'm going to equalize everything for the audio show. That's real easy to do. So I'm going to do that. Um, but wait till you hear this. To me, this is, uh, boy, this is damning stuff here. Let me, let me blow. That's not the one right here. Let's blow this up. I'm going to play this for you. It's about three minutes long. Uh, here we go. Chairman Oberman, members of the Surface Transportation Board, thank you for inviting me to testify today. My name is Shamit Konar. I'm the Chief Executive Officer for Pilot Flying J. We operate the largest network of travel centers in the United States, serving the U.S. trucking industry and four-wheel customers. 
We currently account for approximately 20% of the country's highway, or as we call it, over-the-road diesel supply, 20%, as well as 30% of the diesel exhaust fluid supply, also known as DEF. On April 13th, we were informed by the Union Pacific that we were required to reduce shipments by 26%. In subsequent conversations, we were asked to reduce them even further by 50% or face embargoes. We're not aware of any other company being instructed by the Union Pacific or any other railroad to reduce their shipments to the extent they're asking pilot. However, 26 to 50% reduction in our allocations will have substantial consequences for the markets. We, I would like to take this opportunity to take you through a few of the consequences that Union Pacific's mandate will have on the supply chain, the availability of fuel, and fuel prices. The trucking sector is dependent on DEF. All trucks manufactured after 2010 cannot operate without DEF. And Pilot operates, if not the largest, one of the largest DEF supply networks in the country. Union Pacific's restrictions will prevent Pilot from keeping many markets adequately supplied with DEF, likely causing shortages that will sideline trucks and reduce trucking capacity. For some more context, basically every rail car that gets missed in terms of DEF delivery will reduce trucking potential by 5 million miles. Second, fuel availability and pricing. Let me begin with diesel. U.S. diesel inventories today are running 10 to 15 percent below what they have been in the last five years at their lowest point. Certain markets like the Northeast, the West, and the Southwest are even in a worse shape than the rest of the country. Renewable fuels like biodiesel, renewable diesel move exclusively on rail, on ships, or on trucks, and there are no pipeline alternatives. Fourth, over 50% of pilots' renewable diesel is transported on rail and having our capacity cut by 50% would actually increase fuel prices in these states and potentially run out some of these locations. So, when I, uh, so there's a, so uh, Josh is asking right here, can I include a link to that video in the show notes, please? So I found that video on Twitter and I stripped it off Twitter. And I uploaded it to Odyssey because I knew it wouldn't stand a prayer by itself on YouTube. So I have a link in the audio notes that go up about an hour uh, at the most after this live stream ends. So that's that's that on that. If you want the video, and I know it's not the best quality video. If you look, it was done on Zoom. And it's probably there was some kind of conference going on on Zoom. And the person, like, cropped down to his little window. They probably didn't give him a standalone window while he was talking. I see a lot of Zoom conferences done that way. Um, people have questioned it because it's shitty quality. Nobody's actually proven anything counter to it, uh, that that guy doesn't exist, that he didn't say those words, that he's not who he says he is, etc. So I take it to be true. But here's another fact I have for you. Do you know who the uh, largest shareholders are in Union Pacific? Vanguard and... Dun, 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 surprise, surprise, BlackRock. 
So Union Pacific Railroad is limiting how much diesel exhaust fluid and diesel that, uh, that, that Pilot and Flying J are allowed to ship on their trains. Guys, do you think this is even something that's, that's new to our timeline? The great monopoly breakups of the late 1800s into the early 1900s revolved hugely around what? Trains transporting oil. That's, that's how we, all the shit about breaking up the monopolies. It's one of the main things, the Vanderbilt family, et cetera. This is one of the main reasons the case that was made to the American people that we needed to break up this basically, they called it, you know, anarchist capitalism. Because of this, because when you had the railways, before you had a highway system, you had control over the supply of everything, and the people paid for the tracks, but they were independently owned and operated by companies. You want to see the biggest house, individual private residence house in the planet? It's in Asheville, North Carolina. It's the Vanderbilt house. Railroads built it, and they built it because of a monopoly that they, and they enjoyed for a time. They're just bringing it back. Um, yeah, this is, this is, this is par for the course, but everything they crash, they buy. And I'm just saying, man, there's blood in the streets and I'll save it for my final segment, but now's the time to build because if they create opportunities for themselves by happenstance, they create opportunities for you. Now, maybe your opportunity is not here, but your opportunity is somewhere. But these people have no shame. They don't care who suffers. You know, right now we have this uh, this plant shut down for baby formula. I know this is not directly related, but it is. The government and industry working together to cause all this shit. The government not doing its job of oversight to prevent this shit. Both of those things are leading to all these problems. This plant that makes all, not all, makes the most baby formula in the country. It's been shut down for months. Because supposedly four children died of some illness. I can't remember what it's called. Some bacterial infection. They have not proven any link between those four kids over six months apart, by the way, and this plant, other than they all consumed baby formula that was made in this plant. Well, most babies probably consume baby formula made in this plant if they're on formula because Most parents buy whatever formula is available at any given time. That's that's not proof of anything. They haven't found anything wrong with a plant still shut down, but shut down for like two months. It's malicious. And at the same time, the FDA is coming out and saying, don't make your own baby formula. It's much better you starve your baby because we haven't FDA approved the homemade baby formula people have been using for 70 years that uh, you know people like Weston A. Price Foundation have put out. This is sickness. I hate using this word, and I used it last week a lot. I'm going to use it right now again, evil. This is evil. This is evil. But there's opportunity when evil rises for good to profit, and I suggest that you do so. Next up, the uh, the monkey pox are going to get us now. Um, I wasn't even going to talk about this today, but I am going to now because I found this awesome video of one of my favorite truth speakers, Dr. Robert Malone. This will probably get me. This will probably get this video at minimum demonetized from YouTube and possibly taken down, but I'm going to play it anyway. Hey, I'm back to just a warning. Maybe this is a strike. I don't know. But this is, this, I, I defy, again, if you give me, you know, 
experts.bitcoin or whatever, I'll stake money that this is correct information. I'll go up as an expert with this information, and I bet you Dr. Malone would as well. Here's the truth about monkeypox. Like a bullet, transmission only happens in close proximity by contact with lesions, body fluids, etc. Then it goes on to say, although symptoms often ease within a month, one case in 10 can be fatal. And then in the same article, they go on to quote um, the World Health Organization in a in a biased sampling, which is cases reported to the WHO that are so severe that a nation state feels like they have to report it. The aggregate case fatality rate is 3.7%. So how Gavi goes from 3.7, which is a worst case scenario, to 10% uh, boggles my mind. This is clear fear porn. I, I listened in as I was in the airport lounge about to jump over to Bath here um, to Heathrow, listening to CNN push their version of fear porn, in which they were clearly showing smallpox-infected patients and uh, including that in this statement about monkeypox. So getting on to your question, is monkeypox related to smallpox? Yes. So is cowpox, which is used to vaccinate against smallpox, Historically, this was Edward Jenner. Um, so is camel pox. Uh, there are a number of these pox viruses that are absolutely not lethal in humans. The mortality rate in humans is less than 1%. Uh, this is only spread by close contact. All the cases so far have been, let's say, gently men who have sex with men. Um, and monkeypox has been endemic in Central Africa for uh, probably the history of humankind because it resides in a number of animal species. And of the two clades of monkeypox, the one that's circulating right now, calling it circulating, is a gross overstatement. The one that has had a few scattered cases is the least of the two in terms of its disease. So... Is this uh, more fear porn? And that is the title of my substack for today, Monkeypox, Truth Versus Fear Porn. My assessment is it is absolutely another case of the media and the government cooperating to spin up more fear that is absolutely unfounded. Yeah, so wouldn't you like to see these uh, experts have to tender some sign of, of consideration? Um would and then have Dr. Malone do the same thing. And I played this mainly because I don't really want to dig deep into monkeypox. If you believe monkeypox is dangerous, this is what you need to do. There's outside of your window, your office, whatever, the car you're driving, pull it over. Go find a tree. That tree is tirelessly making oxygen for you to breathe. You owe it an apology. If you're afraid of monkeypox, you owe it a tree an apology. Okay, but I just wanted to tie it back into monetizing the truth. All these people committing fear porn right now, telling you how dangerous it is and, and things like that, right? Um, they're not going to suffer a single consequence for being wrong. Not one. Not one damn consequence. Now, I want to talk to some of you on our side. You've got to be careful when you start spewing shit, okay? You've got to be careful. There is a whole voice rising on the resistance side, our side of this argument right now, about how this monkeypox is bullshit to sell more vaccines. And it, it, it may indeed be. 
But the reality is they did not warp speed. This is ter terminology I've heard. They did not warp speed a monkeypox vaccine. They didn't make one in 2019. They didn't make one in 2010. What they did is they took the smallpox vaccine and approved it for monkeypox. This vaccine in its current form has been played with a little bit and, and improved or not improved, depending on your opinion. But this is a decades-old vaccine that apparently because they are similar, and, and like Malone said, you, the, the first vaccines for smallpox were actually made from cowpox, which was a much milder, not lethal thing. And it was noticed that women who were milkmaids didn't tend to get smallpox because they'd been exposed to the cowpox. But it's not new. And when we say this is very important, it's what I talked about recently with the whole the bill in Australia that supposedly says you can't grow your own food, which is total bullshit. It doesn't say a single thing about it. The Food Safety and Modernization Act of 2010 in the United States, it was supposedly going to outlaw gardens and ban you from trading peppers for tomatoes with your neighbor. It was all bullshit. It makes our argument weak and look stupid because it takes about 30 seconds to legitimately prove you wrong when you say something like Bill Gates made a small a, a, a monkeypox vaccine in 2019. Don't say stupid shit that's not true to make your point when you have all the credible information you need to make your point. Please think before you act. Moving on, I want to uh, talk to you a little bit about my biggest fear for my people, being Americans, going forward, over the next few decades, is I'll become an old man and I'll end up in a wheelchair in an old folks home or some shit like that in my 90s. What am I going to be most concerned about in the way that my nation ends up when people from my generation and those of you a little bit younger and a little bit older are no longer able to enact um, resistance and it gets taken over? And all you got to do is look at Europe. And one of my best friends and former business partners, Neil Franklin, said often to me, he says, I just, I just sit here, mate, and I look at your country, and I just think 30 years ago, this was the UK. And you're just 30 years behind us. I've never been able to argue against that. I think maybe on some things we're maybe 40 years behind, and in some things maybe we're 10 years behind. So there's a, a variable on what specific thing. But on the aggregate average, I think 20 to 30 years is about right. We're about 20 to 30 years behind Europe in losing our sovereignty as individuals. And I, I do believe, and I know that everybody on, on our side, if you want to get, if you want to use that term, though, I think a lot of people use our side. You're not on my side. We're not the same, you and I. Um, I'm for 100% individual liberty so long as you don't harm another person and all acts to be voluntary. So if you're going to say you're on my side, you mean that. But I mean, everybody that opposes the government get any bigger or more powerful than it already is likes to invoke the Second Amendment and the right to keep and bear arms. And I think it's the only thing that's held the advancement back, because if you if you fuck with people enough and they're armed, eventually they'll shoot you. And you can say whatever you want about needing nuclear bombs and F-16s or whatever, Joe Biden. And the reality is they know this. They know this. And there's a reason there's a hell of a lot less violent crime in Texas and Florida than there is in California, Illinois, New York right now. There's a reason. There's a reason people are p polite at the gun range, but it only does so much especially when you start controlling the minds of children and they just choose not to exercise a right. It might as well not be there because in one or two generations, the right will atrophy and die if no one exercises it. 
But what has me thinking about this is one of my favorite people. I don't want a single word I say about this man to be taken as a personal insult. I don't mean it that way. His name is Peter McCormack. He's a podcast host of What Bitcoin Did. And he's done a lot of episodes recently bringing in kind of the ANCAP libertarian side, which is the dominant side of the Bitcoin movement, and discussing liberty and freedom. And I've mentioned before how he would say things like, I just can't see how, and then, you know, we would ever work without a state or whatever. And I'm like, anybody that says they don't see how need not issue further opinion about a thing because what we say for not being able to see is you're blind, at least to this thing. If you say, I can't see, that means you're blind. If you can't see, I can't see how this thing, you're blind to this thing. You haven't done enough research. To be fair to Peter, he keeps bringing these people on. And it's it's actually a little bit, because I like the guy so much, it's a little bit painful to listen to his objections where he's blind. But everybody has their own walk. I've always said never be a, a, a blossoming libertarian across the head for not being libertarian enough and not making it to anarchy in six months. I think he's going to get there. Maybe if he doesn't get to full-on anarchist, he's going to get to, like, real libertarianism. Maybe not pure libertarianism, with which agorism and anarchism is, but I think he's going to get there because he's, he's having the intellectual battle with himself. But when I hear it, I sit there and I go, the things my father told me when I was a teenager are 100% correct. What my dad said about all this is the goal of the people that control the world is the full and complete domestication of the human. They want to domesticate the man like an animal is domesticated to where it so relies on you that it will submit to any authority that you exert over it. And when I listen to the objections, and I, here's an example of an objection. Peter says, I like guns. And if I lived in America, I would probably eventually own a gun. I, I get it. I like it. You guys are taking me to the range. It's good. But in, in the UK, it just doesn't work. We don't have a gun culture. And I'd really like to get on his show, and I'd like to have a, an intellectual conversation with him. And I'd like to turn it to his pet thing and say, well, what would you say? about a country that currently has made Bitcoin illegal. And they say, well, I came to your country. I like it. I see all of the wonderful things it does. But we just don't have, you know, a free money culture in our society, in our country. And, and, and I don't think the people would use it. So we shouldn't have it because nobody wants it. Well, you'd say, first of all, if nobody wants it, you might as well make it legal because if nobody uses it, it's not going to matter. The only reason you object to decriminalizing, legalizing, unregulating a thing is you're afraid somebody's going to use it. If nobody was going to use it, there'd be no need to prohibit it. Right now, as far as I know, there's no prohibition from going out in the garden, picking some foxglove and eating it and killing yourselves. There's no law that says that thou shall not possess nor consume foxglove and people don't do it because they don't want to die a painful death. So when nobody does a thing, we don't need a regulation against it. So the idea that people don't want it is ridiculous because if people didn't want it, it wouldn't be there. But what you're also saying is even if the majority of people don't want a thing, it's okay to infringe upon the right of a peaceful person to have or do a thing. And it'd be interesting to have this conversation with Peter about any other substitute in here thing. But the bigger thing when I listen to him talk, and again, it's not him. It's Europe. It's not just the UK. It's all of Europe. Somebody asked him recently, what do people in the UK hold um, 
holds sacred, that it's a sacred thing. And he said, uh, he babbled around, couldn't really figure it out. And finally he said, well, like the NHS, which is a national health service, their, their government insurance. And he said, you know, you can just go to the doctor for free and people hold that sacred. People deserve to have health care, et cetera. And it's free. And he kept hearing it saying, well, it's free. It's not free. And I think it'd be interesting for Peter to do a little uh, financial exercise and find out how much he's paying for it. Because his next thing was, and I have on top of it, private insurance, which is very affordable, a couple hundred bucks a month. And I'm sure it's subsidized. I think he's a 300 for his family. So he's got free government insurance and he's still paying 300 a month for private insurance. And this is held sacred by the people of Europe. This is Stockholm syndrome. And I, I just look at this and I go, I don't think Europe's going to make it. Because if you speak to somebody from Europe who is considered by people in Europe to be extremely right wing, dangerous right wing, literally Hitler, you bring that person to America and they're far left of center. They're far, I mean, far left. You take what they don't have yet over there, and it's interesting that they don't, is the woke culture. Like the whole outrage all the time, the hill to die on is being able to talk to five-year-olds about sex. Like they don't have that shit in there, at least from what I'm hearing. I, I don't go there. I, I limited insight, but the people that are there that I listen to say it's not there. But again, a person who is economically and civil liberties considered right wing in Europe is considered extreme left in the United States, in our current state. And that person was a full-on pinko communist 25 years ago in the United States. Again, 20 to 30 years behind Europe in this progression. And this is why we have to lay down the law with you shall not take our children from us. Because I've seen in my own extended family what happens to a child that goes through the university system. Again, my, my niece and nephew, man, they grew up. Dad's a cop, mom's a teacher, so they have the authoritarian complex. But overall, I mean, very, you're talking North Central Texas, Methodist church upbringing, went to the church their whole life, both confirmed in the church. Parents vote absolute red dog Republican across the board all the time, period. Instilled conservative values in these children. And my nephew, who's the older of the two, is a full-on flaming woke liberal now who just graduated law school. And my niece's hero is the late Ruth, Gator, Gator, uh, Bader, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, RBG. And it only took my, – my niece is not even close to done with college yet. That's all that it took. And if we don't take control of this back right now, It won't matter how hard we fight because they're, they're in charge in 10 years. The people who are 35 to 45 have the greatest say in society in our modern world. They have come a long way. Yeah. Maybe that was, uh, what's that called? A Freudian slip, right? Ruth Vader Ginsburg. I didn't, that's funny, Josh. That's funny. And that's kind of what I said. I was like, I couldn't say it right. I kept saying Ruth Vader, right? The dark side. Um, But yeah, like 35 to 45 is where you kind of hit your stride. You're making some real money. You got the greatest influence. Advertisers come to you. You, 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 you 
And between 35 and 45, you either get into a position of power and influence or you don't. You don't generally, unless somebody puts you up on a pedestal, you don't generally get into a position of power at 25. Maybe you found your own company or something, but in general, inside a company, inside a government, inside a society, you don't get into a position of power at 25. It's somewhere in your 30s that you kind of hit that point where you're respected enough, you've built enough clout, you've done enough work, you've sacrificed enough. And if you don't do it by about 45, you're coasting to retirement. And that's not putting anybody down. That's just how the world works in our society today, guys. It really is. And um, so just think about it. How long do we got till the person that's 20, 25 years old is in that demographic? And then the only salvation is that next wave coming up before we completely edge out because we have influence and we have the ability to reach out to people. We have the, the ability to win minds because I think that not all of them. I mean, I've met some really switched on young people who understand what's being done and can articulate it very well. Some of them better than me, but they're not the majority. And I, I feel that that kind of like 20 to 30 year cohort right now, unless it chooses to wake from the matrix and unplug by itself, we've lost them. The indoctrination is too deep and the compulsion to go along, to get along and be part of the crowd is too strong at that age. And you know where it's formed? It's formed in the place that you have control over, and that is your grade school, middle school, and high school. That's where the desire to conform is cultivated by the state. I have to be liked. I have to. You have kids that are in homeschool programs, school co-ops, etc. They don't have that. Because you expose them to other kids and they, like adults do, identify with the ones they get along with. They form groups there and they work in those groups and they have friendships in those groups. And they just don't bother with anybody else. And the whole, you know, most socialization shit. First of all, the human race is far too freaking socialized. Socialized is domestication. Okay? But second of all, you know, my grandson plays baseball. He's a pretty damn good pitcher. He plays basketball. He's got friends through his cousins and they have, they get together and they do things. And again, the ones that get along do things together and they have no compulsive need to say or do whatever, which is by the way, how you're manipulating a lot of these kids into being trans and all this other shit by making it a thing that's cool and in and click. Uh, there was, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bill Maher said recently, if kids actually growed up to say, to be what they wanted to be when they're 10, We'd have a world full of princesses and cowboys. He ain't wrong, guys. I know he's, you know, left the center big time, but man, he's, he's like a lot of people that are the old guard left starting to realize how far this has gone yet. But they did it. They made these kids this way and they're going to suffer just like we are. It's starting to sink in. They're starting to realize it. We've got to take this back. And if you want to go to university, that's one thing, but you have to have establish the foundation that it can't be torn away from you. Because a kid right now that enters our university system that came out of compulsory government high school has not no chance, but almost no chance. And I'm telling you, if you look at Europe, Europe's not going to make it. It is going to have to completely fall, and then maybe its fourth turning comes. I don't know. I don't know, and I'll tell you part of what's done it. Fear of conflict is deep in the European heart because of how much conflict has happened on the European continent. 
it made them easier for these bastards to take control over. Because once you've seen the kind of conflict Europe has seen, and I mean within the last 150 years, and over and over again, peace is more important than freedom in your mind. We have a luxury in this country that despite being a very warmongering country that's gone all around the world and fought a lot of wars, for some good and a lot of bad, We've, no living human has seen war on American soil. And don't give me 9-11 or some little piece of something here or there. You know, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor or they occupied an Aleutian Island or some shit like that. We have not suffered war on our land in the life of any living American. And it gives us an understanding of the value of freedom without the fear of brother killing brother. And it makes us harder to master and harder to control. So if you want to know why there might be an agenda to create a war on our soil, maybe maybe that's it. Let me ban this porn spammer. And gone. Let's move on from there. Um, a lot of you guys, I know you probably tired of me talking about Bitcoin, Lightning, crypto in general. And I'm not going to stop. I'm sorry. You're going to have to deal with it if you want to hear all my other shit. And the reason I'm not going to stop is... It is the single most important thing to happen in the world of economics in your life. And whether you want to be part of it or not, you ignore it at your own peril. Somebody said recently, somebody said recently to me, because I posted the thing last week, I put it on the air about the central bankers using uh, lightning and Bitcoin in El Salvador. Oh, yeah, Jack, that's what I want to do is be like central bankers. They're my hero. You know what? This person probably doesn't have an IQ of of 81, but everybody can act like they have an IQ of 81 when they want to mentally block something that they don't want to accept. My point in showing you that was that even the people most opposed to it are beginning to accept its reality because it's asymmetric warfare. Yes, I want central bankers using Bitcoin. Yes, I do. I absolutely do, because it will rein in some of the things that they want to do. It is digital gold, and gold historically was the governor of the government. So do I want the government governed? Yes. And the only thing that governs government is limited supply and natural law, because they set their own laws otherwise. So like I said, I've said this years ago, the government can pass a law that says gravity shall no longer affect Congress clowns, and if gravity does so, The Congress clown will be entitled to uh, a judgment from gravity. And if the Congress clown walks up on a tall building, God, please try it, and jumps off of it, minding that no innocent people are below so they don't land on somebody, that law will not prevent gravity from making them look like the coyote on the Coyote Roadrunner show. Right? You can't legislate away natural law, and you can't legislate away a de decentralized, mathematically-based hard cap network. So, yes, I want them to use it. I want everybody to use it, whether I like the person or not, because, well, it's better if everybody does. And I don't ever want it to be compulsory. I don't ever want anybody forced to do it, but I want people to voluntarily do it, and I think that they will. And I think that means if you ignore it, then you're going to get exactly what you deserve. I've said about Bitcoin, and I, I got this from somebody else, and I've heard it so many times, I don't know who was the originator of it. It might be Parker Lewis, but... Everybody gets into Bitcoin at the price they deserve. 
Everybody gets into Bitcoin at the price they deserve. So I want you to learn about Bitcoin. And Michael Saylor at the Saylor Academy has an incredibly, I, I mean, I've been in Bitcoin since 2014. I learned some things. And I also learned how to better explain some things by taking this course myself. 12 hours, certificate at the end. Um, great instructor. Dude looks like something's wrong. Like maybe he drinks too much, something dark under his eyes, or maybe it's just the camera shadow or something. But damn good instructor. Makes things really easy to understand. And I'll have a link in the uh, audio notes for you at, at Sailor Academy. And, uh, but I wanted to actually bring that to your attention because I think you, if you struggle with Bitcoin at all, or if you're a holdout, if you're a no-coiner, you really owe it to yourself to know what you're saying no to. Have you ever noticed that the people that actually have your best interest at heart tell you to get both sides of the story? They never tell you just write a thing off. They always say, you know, why don't you learn about this thing and go listen to the counter argument and make your own decision. And that the people that want to control you like the media and the government specifically give you the opposite advice, do not look at the other side. Do not do your own research. Trust the experts that have no skin in the game. I'm just suggesting you know what you're saying no to. And those of you that tell me, I know exactly how it works, and then you give me some example, the example you give is almost infinitely wrong. And I don't say that to be arrogant or egotistical or to say you're stupid. What I'm saying is simply that you don't know what you don't know. You can't know what you don't know. You can know that you don't know about something, but you don't know what it is that you don't know. And so I would like you to learn more about Bitcoin, but let's say that you're like, well, I don't really want to learn more about Bitcoin. I want a career in biology. Guess what? Michael Seller has full-on college credit level courses available for free about microbiology and other you know, basics of biology. Totally free. Sit right behind your computer in your own time and learn them. You want to learn more about business? He's got a, you can give yourself a freaking minor business degree in a couple weeks if you're dedicated at Sailor's uh, site, uh, which I think is sailor.org. I'm not sure. I got, again, I got link in the audio notes. It'll go up about an hour. I just want to say that this is the future of education. Things like Thaddeus Russell are doing, uh, with his program, which is not free, but it's far more broad and far more courses available than Sailor has. Sailor, which is free. Uh, people are going to mention Khan Academy, things like um, what I use for my grandkids for homeschool uh, with Excellus Academy. And you can do it for free or you can pay money and you get the transcript and you get uh, instructor support and things like that. Uh, and it's still stupid cheap. This is the future of education. The idea that we're going to employ millions of teachers in a mediocre model where the best are paid the same as the worst and give our children the best education possible is dumb. But I'll defend it. I'll defend it as it was built. Because even though I know it was used as programming for factory workers, in the end, even the people that were altruistic, what else could they have done? What else could they have done except build schools for the kids to go to and figure out how to get the kids to be able to go to the schools? And if you're going to have schools that kids are going to go to, after a certain number of kids, you need another teacher. And then a certain more kids, now you need another teacher. And then when you get enough kids, now we have to go from the one-room schoolhouse to first grade, second grade, third grade, et cetera, having their own teachers. And then you get enough kids, and then you're like, shit, 
we need a science teacher and a history teacher and, and we'll move the kids. I'll give it all a pass. I'll give it all a pass. Until what I'm doing right now became possible. Now I can take the best teachers, the best teachers, and make them scalable to everyone. And I can match the teacher to the student based on philosophy, teaching technique that works best for the student. And I can move my students in a thousand different directions because some kids are going to grow up and be street artists, and that's okay. And if that's what they really want, as long as we give them enough fundamentals that if they change their mind, they can change course, and they're not making a permanent stupid decision, they should be able to do that. Some are going to want to be welders, fabricators. They're going to want to learn to run 3D printers that are eventually going to make houses. We can do all that without having that kid learn French literature or some stupid shit. And we can do all that with that student having access to the best teacher for that student, for that subject, for that time. And that means about 90% of teachers in the whole, the whole of the system, university, high school, junior high, all the way down to kindergarten, up into the doctorate level, etc., are unnecessary. What are they supposed to do? I don't know. Maybe they can go to Sailor Academy and learn how to code. Did I just say that? Was that kind of mean? Yeah, it was. But, you know. If it works for one group, it works for all, doesn't it? No, maybe they can go find something they're better at. Maybe some of them that aren't the worst, but aren't the best, but the reason they're not the best is despite all of the bullshit about how they're underpaid and they're heroes that don't wear capes and all, inside that system they figured out that if I try a lot harder, I don't get any more, so they do just good enough. Maybe if there was a way to incentivize that group, they would actually rise up above the top 10% and become the top 10%. We don't know because we don't have a competitive marketplace for them. And I know some of you, I'm going to hear from some of the teachers in my audience, we can't have an incentive-based teaching model because what if I get the dumb kids or whatever? So the, I'm, I'm just going to say, you teachers that say that, you administrators that say that, what you're say <clears throat> saying is I'm supposed to give my kids to you for 13 years so you can prepare them for the real world But you can't even figure out amongst all the millions of you how to make a fair, equitable, and useful, and productive incentivized model for compensation. If you can't do that, I don't want you teaching my kids C-spot run. You're not qualified. I'm sorry. Wrong. Answer. Goodbye. And I think that that's, that's what's going to... That's just going to turn things. I'm going to just one thing here. Somebody talked to me about this. Somebody's asking about Nexus. I think they're talking about a shit coin called Nexus. And Nexus is going to create an open Internet. Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. Is I've, I've come to value everything but Bitcoin less and less and less over time. And the reason is because I have been doing this so long. And I lived through the surges of 2014, the surge of 2018. And I saw the great bloodletting in both cycles. We're going to make this cryptocurrency so electric companies can build. And like, you know what you need to make? You need to make technology. If the people behind Nexus want to enable us to have an open internet, a mesh-based internet, they need to be making freaking hardware that does that. Not a shit coin that promises that someday it'll be possible because, well, we need a way to compensate people for running their freaking piece of hardware that doesn't exist. We can do that with dollars. We can do that with Bitcoin on Lightning. We can do that with your shit coin. We can do that with Ethereum. We can do that with, there's a million freaking options that already exist to pay. You don't need a specialized crypto to enable a hardware like that. It's the desire to print money. And I'm just 
done. I'm done with all of these promises. We're building this. Even some of them that I thought were really interesting, what I realized is they never actually built the thing. They were really good at building a crypto, which anybody can do. You can learn to code a crypto quick. And getting it listed in an exchange and enriching themselves, but they never built the thing. Build the thing, tie into something that already exists, And only then, if there's not a thing that exists that enables the thing, make your own crypto to enable the thing. And if you did that, we'd stop making a new crypto every other five minutes. Right? And then here's the question. Am I still for privacy coins like R? Yes. Because complete and total anonymity has a value. Complete and total anonymity has a value. And R and Monero, in my opinion, are two that you can rely on for that. But back, I mean, just to show you, this is not new. I did a presentation on crypto and was heavily weighted toward Bitcoin in November last year at my workshop. And I said about five times in that presentation, and I talked about Algorand and NFTs to make fractional ownership of things like the grapevines for liquid venue. It's all very cool. And that actually works, and that actually can be done. And that's, I'll give the people... In the shitcoin space, that's why I call myself not a maximalist of Bitcoin, but a shitcoin minimalist. They built technologies that work and do the thing, that are being used. And I, I respect that. I really do. But what I kept saying was, please understand that even though I'm sharing this and I'm acknowledging this, in the end, there's no reason that Bitcoin won't eat everything. My personal opinion, there will be some cryptos that hang on as technologies, and there will be some truth. There's, I want you to start thinking tokens and coins as different things. Different things. And, and things like Bitcoin forks, like Litecoin, are very much in the model of Bitcoin. And if there was no pre-mine and no one person reserved a bunch of shit for themselves, it's going to be very hard for the, the FTC and the SEC to eventually go after them. Because they can make a case that, hey, there's, there's no one to go, first of all, there's no one to go after. Okay? There's no one to go after. But if you have a CEO, you're not decentralized. And that means that under U.S. law, you are a security. And you can, you can, you can, uh, Learn more about that by listening to Michael Saylor. I mean, you, listen, look up the, the the discussion between Michael Saylor and Raul Paul, and 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 I'll I'll leave it at that, and I'm going to go on because I want to talk about something totally different now. The Ministry of Truth, right? And Scary Poppins did not last as long as CNN Plus. She's already resigned her position she never assumed, and she's gone, and everybody's cheering. I just want to point something out. The Ministry of Truth was a problem before it was officially a ministry of truth, and this did not make it go away. And I have to ask myself, if the people that appointed Scary Poppins, which I think is a great name for I think Tucker Carlson came up with it, uh, the chick that sung the song that was supposed to run the ministry of truth, it was like a millennial idiot that was behind a lot of actual disinformation campaigns, by the way. Um, I can't believe they were like, oh, shit. I didn't realize she was this big of an idiot with this much of a track record, this publicly, and everybody would know it. I I don't think you get put into a position 
that high in government within freaking Homeland Security with no background check at all. I'm wondering if the whole thing was a head fake. Look, we were going to do this thing and you guys yelled about it, so now we're not going to. I, I, I actually think, here's the pretty girl, look at her while the magician pulls a rabbit out of his ass. But that's what just happened. I think they're actually going to ramp up the actual ministry of truth because the hand that's unseen is more effective than the hand that's seen. And they've given you the illusion that your voice mattered. The, the right is chanting, we won, we won, the tide is turning. Okay. There will be blood in the midterm elections. It is not, I don't care, you can cheat harder, you can cheat harder than you ever cheated before. I'm going to reach these kids, right? Some of y'all know that's wrong. Cheat like you've never cheated before. You're still going to, you're going to get your asses handed, Democrats. And then I'm going to sit and I'm going to go, okay, let's see how it changes. And it's not. We just had Ted Cruz, one of the champions of the right, man. He came out and he said, hey, we need to support this $40 billion for the Ukraine because it makes America more safe and more secure. You know what he didn't say? How? You know why he didn't say how? There's not an answer to that question. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be great if at least the Congress clowns, the Senate and the House reps, had to put stake up of personal wealth in the experts.btc idea I had? That'd be interesting, too, to actually see. I know somebody will pay their bill for them or something, but you know what? It would still keep score. See, that's the one thing y'all, I, some of y'all already said that when I was talking about that. Well, you know, there'd be these people the government would fund their loss, so it wouldn't matter. Yeah, but it would all be automated and it would all keep score. You know, and then Fauci's score would be like negative three hundred thousand. And Dr. Malone would probably have like a 1500 or some shit positive. Be interesting. Because it wouldn't be subjective. That's why I like the idea. But just don't think that because we, uh, we shut down Scary Poppins that anything's actually changed. And I'm, I'm going to listen to the right explain that how Brandon has to go and the poor Republicans that took over the Senate and the House and run some bullshit pseudo friggin' uh, impeachment hearings that are going to be half-assed or whatever they do can't actually do anything until we get rid of Brandon in 2024. And that will probably happen. And then you'll have all, th all three. You'll have the House, the Senate, and the presidency again, again, again. And I'm going to listen to you make excuses again and call them rhinos again. And by the way, you diehards that believe in the Republican Party, stop calling them rhinos. You look like an idiot. When like 90% of a group behaves a certain way and you define them as the exception, you are a fool. They're not rhinos, they're Republicans. They're neoconservatives. That's what you get. And I know, in some ways, they suck less than neoliberals. I get it. But it's still what they are. Every time you use the term rhino, you guys that vote, I'm going to vote me a conservative. Where? Thomas Massey? Maybe. Okay, I'll give you that. Rand Paul? Okay. Not as much, but yeah. Yeah, I like Rand. By the way, I'm going to be on his dad's show tomorrow. I'm going to be on, on Ron Paul's Liberty Report tomorrow. But there ain't enough of them. Mitt Romney's not a rhino. He's a Republican. He's just more obvious than, you know, everybody else. Mitch McConnell's not a rhino. He's a Republican. All right. 
That's enough politics. Let's move on. I want to just finish with this, guys. Build Wilder is blood. Build Wilder's blood. Right now, when it comes to things like Bitcoin, I'm buying the blood. That's one way I'm building. I'm not going all in. I'm, you know, I'm just watching and, ah, you know what? I'll buy another hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin. Ah, look at that. It went down to 27. Okay. I'll buy another 50 bucks. It's preserving capital so that if the blood continues, I'm not trying to catch falling knife. I'm not going to go mortgage my house and go all in at 29.5. It's little bits of capital, extra capital sweeping it in. You do that, and four years from now, your buddies are going to be like, man, if I only would have known, and no, they wouldn't have. Most people won't. Oh, you got lucky. No, you bought the blood. But there's more than buying the blood. There's building amid the blood. There really is. There, 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 there is a history of this. Making fortunes. By building amid the bloodshed. Some of the most successful companies in the world today were built in the middle of the Great Depression. Some other really successful companies were built during the dot-com bust. It wasn't only the ones, see, that's what everybody focuses on, is like the Amazon or the Google that was there for the bust and lived through it. How many very successful technology companies today were built with the Internet during the low of the dot-com bust. How many small enterprises? When did I build, for long-timers, when did I build TSPC, the Survival Podcast, into a success? The answer is 2008, 2009, and 2010. Guess what was going on then? We were in a recession. There was blood. I built among the bloodshed. Bloodshed is where the opportunity is. Not that I want it. There's a lot of things that are that I wish weren't, right? If you have cancer and liver, uh, cancer in your liver and pancreas right now, odds are you have six months or less to live. If I get it, that's what I'll have. And hopefully I'll be with you right until the end. If that ever, something like that ever happens to me, it won't shut me down. I'll keep being me right until the end because I think that's what humans are supposed to do. But it is. And me not wanting it to be doesn't change that it is. You got it? Me not wanting it to be doesn't change that it is. So me not wanting bloodshed to be necessary to purge bad ideas and encourage new good ones doesn't change it. That's the way it's historically worked. Will we as a society ever evolve past that? I'd like to believe so, but it also doesn't matter. There is more opportunity to build right now than any of you are likely to ever see again in your life. This is your shot. This is your moment. This is your time. You're on the three-point line. The buzzer's at two. There's no one to pass to. And you're two points down. That's what today is. That's what today is. Oh, I gotta pull myself away from that one. We'll get to you in the comments. You just made an absolutely fake statement, Zip. Absolutely fake. Absolutely wrong. And I defy you to prove that what you've just said is true. But right now, you have to make that shot. And guess what? 
it might bounce off the rim and not go in. You might completely whiff it. The whole crowd might look at you and blame you for the loss, even though you pushed your team right to that point. And you, without you, the opportunity that you blew wouldn't even be there. You still have to take the shot. This is the good news. It's not one game. It's as many games as you want to play. And you get to take as many of those shots as you want. But now is the time to take the shot. Let's start out with this one because this is an example of somebody saying something that they cannot prove. And I defy you to prove it. Um, Zip or 88 says the USA has a treaty with the Ukraine. The USA should arm Ukraine with weapons. Show me the treaty zip. You are nothing until you show me the treaty. You just said, what is the treaty's name? When was the treaty signed? When was the treaty ratified by the United States Senate with 66 senators or more? What treaty do you speak of, Zip? Guess what? You have no treaty. You're full of shit. You just made an absolutely 100% false statement. You, Zip, are guilty of disinformation. I am going to go back to work. And I'm going to talk to other people. If you have a link to a treaty, we can all look at and show everybody that Jack was wrong. Not only will I admit that I was wrong, I will pull the treaty up on the screen. I will highlight the part where it says that we have a treaty with Ukraine to arm them in this situation, that we have entered into a treaty with Ukraine. And I will say Zip was right and Jack was wrong. And I have like 16 points, 16 different comments that were worthy of commenting on and responding to. You have plenty of time. Everybody, I'm going to be in a different list looking at different comments. He might find it. I might be wrong. If he does, all you guys there, don't pick on him. Make sure when I come back over to this tab, if Zip has found a place where you can show me where the United States and the Ukraine have specifically entered into a treaty, And I said a treaty because he said a treaty. It says right there, the U.S. has a treaty with Ukraine. If he does it and he leaves because he has to go, I don't know, give birth to a cow or something, you guys point out where he said it. Because if I'm wrong, if there's a treaty with Ukraine, I want to know about it. Now, let us go over to people that maybe are more worth talking to. Thomas says, monetize the truth. The government would pay the stake for its own experts. Yeah, I know. I'm okay with that. I'm okay. Because here's the thing, they still get more money by being right, and they're still 100% on record, trackable and traceable with being wrong. Imagine that if the experts experts had brackets like the NCAA finals, right? Imagine if the experts had ratings like a quarterback rating, and you couldn't hide it. That's why I think this would work. And I think it would also... Um, help get a lot of other voices into the mix. Like, so somebody that comes on board and no one's heard of him and he doesn't have a degree, but he spent his whole life studying, and I don't want to even say what, this one thing. This one thing, and it actually matters to humanity, and he goes on record with it over and over and over and over again, and he's right 90% of the time, and my experts are wrong 10% of the time. Now you can't hide it, and they can't run away. And it would probably start out with a bunch of people who no one heard of. And all the experts would run away. But eventually, they're going to have to play the game, too. Somebody needs to build this. It's not going to be me. Uh, Adam says, Jack, do you still recommend Hugo Culture? And he says, he's not sure if he's spelling it right. Adam, I recommend Hugo Culture for the people who want to do Hugo Culture. That have the right environment, the right climate, the right goals, the right desire, the right amount of time to maintain Hugo Culture. Hugo Culture, for those that don't know, is we take wood and we bury it. 
And there's a lot of ways to do it. I call it wood core beds because hugaculture to me is at least a meter to a meter and a half high berm. Angle of the slope is 70 degrees. And it's about 30% wood and about um, 70% soil. And then it's mulched. And the mulch is held on with sticks and wood that are pushed in like nails, at least when the bed's established, because that's how the guy that created the whole concept set up Holter builds them. I went and built some with Seth. So if it's if it's that, yes. But then you have a giant berm that you have to maintain. And this idea, I'm, I love Paul Wheaton, this idea that it's like you just you just grow it, and then once it's planted, you just pick stuff off and you don't ever worry about it. No. Seth himself said you need a Fuchensteiner. A Fuchensteiner is like a little hoe thing with like a blade on one side, and you can go in between your productive plants. And you, it's actually really cool because since the, the bed's on a 70-degree angle, you're, you're not bending over. You can just stand and you can take all the weeds and stuff. There's work in culture, And, by the way, the guy that is most known for it, you know what he does with his hugel mounds after a time? Takes a great big machine and flattens them out. What Seth does is he cuts a terrace on the side of a slope of the mountain. Now there's not a lot of really good quality growing to be done because you've cut down to the subsoil level. So you reserve the topsoil. You take the trees that you, you got to get rid of because they're low-value timber, You put them in piles and you build hugel mounds with the topsoil on top of the trees. And now you make literally on a big project millions of dollars worth of composted soil. And then eventually you spread it out and you manage it in a more conventional type system. That's what's, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. But that's what the guy that is the master of it is actually doing. And I think it's interesting that nobody talks about that. Jesse says, Jack, channel liquidity is complicated. I appreciate you trying to explain it. I'm running my lightning node specifically to learn how it works. And I think that's what you're going to have to do. If you're waiting for me to show you how to run a lightning node, do not do it. And again, I'm not vouching for this company, but yeah, you get the kind of the standard node. It's like 12 bucks a month to pay, that you have to pay for it. it the company's called Voltage. And you can do liquidity swaps. You can buy, but I wouldn't just, if you want to learn, Because I set one up yesterday. It took me five minutes. I don't know what the hell to do with it, to be honest with you. Um, but I'll get some help, and I'll learn to do it. I think that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to take some time and plow through it. If you don't know anything about Bitcoin and you're trying to run a lightning node, I think you're really going to have a problem, though. That's why, you know, yes, I want to get tipped, but I set up tiplightning.com so you can learn how to use lightning. Before you learn how to use lightning, you got to learn what Bitcoin is. you got to learn how to buy Bitcoin and get it in your own custody. Then you can move it to the Lightning Network, and then you can play with, you know, 50, 100 bucks worth of it and do it for pennies, and you can build confidence and learn. And you do that, then building a Lightning mode is is really great. But I I think that if we actually taught Lightning node development in school, that we would actually have an under, a fundamental understanding of how international banking works. Because if you if you just Google liquidity swap without Lightning, 95% of what you're going to find is how liquidity swaps work for banking. And again, it doesn't make the two the same thing. But basically what it means is you have to be active. I want you, I'll give you another way to understand it. You go to a bar, okay? You go to a bar and you say, I want to open a tab because you don't want to buy a beer for you and your buddy and pay. And then buy a beer for you and your buddy and two chicks that you guys got to come over and buy a drink for. And then they leave and you pay again. And then two of your friends come in and 
you say, hey, we're buying tonight. Here's another set of drinks. And you order another round. And you have one more before you go and hopefully get an Uber at that point. You don't want to have to pay every time. So you open a tab with the bar and you collateralize it with what? A means of payment, a credit card. And that bill keeps accumulating over here. And then it's time to leave. And what do you do? You close the tab. In Lightning, you close the channel. And you settle. And there's a guarantee that you're going to pay because if you run away and don't pay, the first thing you do when you're a bartender and a guy gives you a credit card is they swipe it and it runs like a, a simulated charge, but it charges a dollar or something. It makes sure that it's a good card. They don't just, oh, that looks pretty. It must be a good credit card, right? They actually check and they make sure it's a good card, that it's a good form of payment. And if you run away, they just charge your card. And, and that's a little bit like how Lightning works. That liquidity is sitting there so that if you close the channel it, and you, you are in, you owe the other side of the tab, the tab is settled before you close the channel. And if you misbehave, they just run your card. And maybe they charge you more than you were supposed to pay if you, if you do that. That's, that's how it's secured. Uh, next up, John Paul Jones. Hey, Jack, the other day John Willis had a live feed shut down. Is he in YouTube jail? I do not know. I have not heard that he's in YouTube jail. He might be. Usually when they shut down your feed in the middle of it, you go to YouTube jail. Uh, first time you go to YouTube jail is usually seven days, if I remember right. I've been for 14. Uh, I think after that, you go away forever. They take your channel away from you. Uh, Colt says, would you prioritize meat production over plants on a suburban lot? I don't know. Who are you? What can you grow? How are you going to grow it? How are you going to ensure that your animals are taken care of, etc.? Would I? Yeah, I would. Because I eat a lot more animal and animal product than I eat vegetables. But also vegetables are easier to grow. I just had somebody, we'll talk about their thing tomorrow, but they're growing. They just took my hydroponic stuff and they're growing food down in their basement with hydro. And uh, their problem is they have too much food to eat. They don't know what to do with it all. They're like, what do I do with the extra? You could sell it, you could trade it, you could borrow it, barter it, you could stop growing so much. You could grow some other things. So vegetable production is something, especially with quick turn annuals, that's almost a guarantee if you do it right. So you have to decide how much land you have, how much time you have. You know, meat production in suburban, you're going to have to limit your scope. But, I mean, quail are excellent, but you're not going to be able to grow enough food on a suburban lot to feed your quail. You're going to have to buy feed, so you're going to have to come up with a reserve battery of feed. But the good news is they don't eat that much. And there are ways to put them out on grass, along with some of their diet and, and what have you. But to me, what's the priority is a very personal decision. Uh, Bill says, can you, can you fertilizer a wicking bed through the reservoir? You can, but... If I have a great big tank and I put a lot of nutrient in the tank, nutrient and water not being utilized by another thing tends to breed bacteria and other icky gick things. So it's probably not the best way. The beauty of a wicking bed is we can provide fertility in the soil because it's not aquaponics. It's earthponics, for lack of a better term, uh, doing it this way. You can also use the same type of injection technology of your nutrient that they do with conventional systems where you have basically, as the water passes through, it takes nutrient with it. So you have a nutrient tank and you have a water tank 
and they feed and there's some sort of regulation. That's how you want to do this. You do not want to like skank up your water reservoir because it could be that you might want to use that water for some other things at some point. I'm just saying. Uh, next, uh, Cassie says, can you provide a link for the pilot CEO? I'm searching, can't find a version to share with everyone. Again, it will be in the audio version. I've already got it all set up. As soon as I get done with this live feed, I'll edit the show. I'll get it up and you can find it. It is right now on my Odyssey channel. It's on my Twitter. That would be harder to find though. Um, but yeah, I mean, my understanding is this thing got memory hold fast and, uh, I don't know if it's even still on Twitter or not. Uh, Krista Bear says Canada's number one baby factory slips 100%, ships 100% to China. Yeah. You know what else our government that's so concerned about your baby not having formula has done? We, we've banned imports or we've reduced imports. It one way or another, Europe has a surplus of baby formula right now. It's like, we could, we could ship some. No, we don't want that. That European baby formula, it's not US FDA approved. Good for European babies, but American babies, they'll die on that shit. Yeah. Um, naturalist farmstead. So what are the chances? that the core heart will be the new millennials. Everyone complained about them. Um, so I guess when he says new millennials, he's talking more about Gen Z. So you got a lot of you guys are still using the term millennial. Like you're talking about kids. The oldest millennials are already on high blood pressure medication. They're in their thirties. I, I think the oldest millennials are right around 40, like 41, 39, 38, somewhere in there. Um, the new millennials, I think you mean Gen Z, will they be the cohort that saves our ass if we protect and defend them? And I think that you have to also look at, so your millennials, there's a big difference between the oldest and youngest millennials right now. And there's a big difference between the, the oldest Gen Z and the youngest Gen Z and how much they've been through the system so far. And so I, I think we need to not typecast people. I think that dem demography and defining a cohort generation is useful for discussion, but it tends to get overused. I know a lot of smart millennials, and I know a lot of stupid-ass boomers. And I know a lot of stupid-ass Gen Xers. I'm related to some stupid-ass Gen Xers, all right? I grew up with some stupid-ass Gen Xers. All you guys are Gen X, and you're proud of your, your where you are now in your life, and, hey, my generation is the don't-give-a-shit latchkey generation that raised herself. Think about some of the damn knuckleheads you grew up with that almost killed themselves. And the only reason no one knows about it is we didn't have Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and all that shit. And there were no pictures of it because you had to go to the photo mart to get your shit developed. And it was expensive. And if the picture didn't turn out, you're screwed, right? Um, unless you had a, a, a Polaroid. And that was still expensive. Uh, Walt says, do you have a favorite ruminant to start? Small-scale protein production on your property. Working with small acreage, five acres, curious if some are more suitable for small properties. I personally would look at a ruminant. I'm going to look at sheep, hair sheep. So, uh, Dorper or some other form of sheep. I'm going to look at the, if I'm you, Walt, I want to look at the work of Greg Judy. Uh, and, and that's where I would go, uh, for meat production on that acreage. You could also look at pasturing some pigs. Uh, but they're not a ruminant. With a ruminant, I'm going to go toward the sheep. Faster production, a reasonable possibility with a single breeding of the, the you throwing twins for you. Much easier to manage than goats. Uh, grown out lamb at seven to nine ish months is going to be like butchering a deer. You can easily do it at home. Uh, it doesn't take that much money to get started on. Can graze on things and browse on things. They're kind of an in-between, so they can make use of vegetation better than a lot of times cattle can. 
Uh, and if you ever start trying to do it for money at scale, they're more profitable. And I think it's a real growth industry. And so that's what I would personally look at, but I'm not an expert there. All right. Uh, Bill said, would biochar work as a wicking medium? And would there be any benefit to using it? I don't think it would hurt. But the thing you got to know about biochar, biochar needs to be charged up with its own nutrient load. And I think it's better in the soil profile than uh, in the wicking medium. Uh, now, if you mean mixed into your soil mix, so you're making your soil mix like we talked about last week to wick up. So we want this light, loose, friable soil. I have a couple buckets of biochar. I have a little kiln I got years ago. I had the, the people behind it on the show. I don't even remember what it's called, but it's basically a cone and you make biochar in it. And I always, I didn't even mention that, did I last week? I always throw a handful or two of that shit, uh, in there, uh, when I'm, when I'm doing up any soil. It certainly doesn't hurt anything. Uh, Walt says, if Bitcoin equals gold, is there even a second coin that could equal silver or is it not worth it in a diverse capital of other cryptos? It was kind of the idea behind Litecoin. But I don't think we need a buy monetary system in, in, in our world. Now, I'm not, I'm not a total anti anything. I'm not a maximalist. I'm certainly not a toxic maximalist, but hear me out. This is what I mean. The need to monetize silver in a gold based economy was because gold was imperfect as a medium of exchange because it was only so divisible and it had so much valuable value to it. And you could only take out such a small piece of gold. And so something that would be a small purchase was not really doable with gold. So we had to invent the banking system so the banker could hold the gold and we could price things in cents, right? Small cents and to make it doable. So with silver, we were able to still have cash money we could carry around for the smaller purchases to make change, et cetera. And because silver is a hard money, people were willing to accept it. And so it worked, but it worked specifically to counter gold's lack of perfection as a means. With Bitcoin, we can go down to a single Satoshi. And the reason for some of the initial alternative cryptos was as Bitcoin began to approach higher value, the ease, speed, and cost of small transactions became somewhat prohibited. So that was the whole case for Litecoin. Look, there's this other coin. We don't claim to be better than Bitcoin. We serve this role. And then we got the Lightning Network. And with the Lightning Network, I'm telling you right now, somebody sent me, let me look at this up so I'm not... Anyway, embellishing. We'll get Wallet of Satoshi open right now. Look at my transaction records because I was thought that was an interesting amount of uh, Satoshis to send me. Somebody sent me three days ago 171 Satoshis. That is five cents. Somebody sent me a nickel, and it's 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 there if you care to take the time to try to see it, right? Um, Somebody sent me a nickel. I bet you they did it just to see if they could. Or maybe that was just how many sats they had in their wallet. So I, I, I don't see the need for a silver to Bitcoin's gold at this point because it's frictionless, because I can move it anywhere, because I can do it for almost no money at low amounts. And the fees, which are considerable, which is good for security because it incentivizes security and mining and verification of transactions, are inconsequential in larger amounts. And waiting 10 minutes for a $5,000 purchase to clear 
is much faster than the existing monetary system. Uh, Jason says, Jax, I'm not worried about number go up. I want to play with usable blockchains. Okay, go do that. But again, a lot of the things that people are doing with these other cryptos are just taking shortcuts. And even if the person, if you're like a coder and you like smart contracts and you like to be able to do all these things and you want these tools, you can be completely altruistic. The person making the crypto that's reserved 70% for themselves, Ethereum, um, is enriching themselves on the backs of others. It is not Bitcoin. It's not like Bitcoin. And I, I'm telling you that we've gotten to a point now where any technology that you make the case that we need an alt for other than privacy, from my opinion, can be built and should be built on top of the Bitcoin uh, blockchain. Uh, GMA Merkel says two sides of the same coin. Government is not on our side. I agree. And I think you're talking about the false dichotomy of the left and right. Larry says just because something changes the world doesn't make it a good investment. Forgot who? Yeah. So I'm not really sure what your point is, Larry, and I'm not putting you down. I just don't know if you're saying just because Bitcoin changes the world doesn't mean it's a good investment. If so, you're ignoring the track record of Bitcoin as being the best performing investment of the last, what, 14 years. So, uh, Zippor says the USA, there we are back to Zippor. Anybody, uh, we'll, we'll get to Zippor here in a second. Uh, cause I got one more here. Josh said good ways to prepare domestic rabbit. Treat it like chicken and don't dry it out. I mean, you know, that, that's really, I like to take my rabbit apart just like chicken and cook the different pieces, parts a little bit differently because it doesn't really, Cook well whole, in my opinion. Um, my favorite way to make rabbit, though, no matter what the cut is, is the same as my favorite way to make squirrel, which is we'll brush the rabbit with, uh, like, butter or a good quality oil like coconut oil uh, or olive oil or avocado oil. And then we want to season it with whatever we want. A good Anything you put on a steak or chicken as a rub will work well here. Get your grill screaming hot on one side, totally off on the other side. Take your rabbit or your squirrel, you can do this with chicken too, by the way, and sear it. Get that sear. It's not to seal in my juices because that's not how searing works, but it is to get that mollard reaction and develop that flavor. And you only need to do it long enough to get a sear on both sides. Now take it and put it in a foil pouch and seal it like I mean, you know, fold over, fold over, and so that no uh, steam can escape. Put it on indirect heat, close the grill down, bring your heat down to like a medium, cook it on indirect heat till it's done. Usually that's about 30 minutes and it will be delicious and nutritious and you will be very happy that you listened to me and you did that. So I don't see, oh, I do see somebody trying to get us to go to Tinder and get hot girls, so we're going to block them. But looking back through here, so I, I'm going to give this some respect. Zippor says the Budapest memorandum was a memorandum, not a treaty. My bad. You are correct. And it binds us to do the square root of F all. And it does not make your case, but I respect you for saying I tried to prove my point. I was unable to prove my point. I was wrong. And here's what I was referencing. I respect the shit out of that. And you should be respected for saying that. And I respect you, but it does not make your point. Uh, a memorandum is not an agreement between two nations to do the square root of anything that's binding on our side, which a treaty would be. Uh, Crystal says, I'm the oldest millennial and I'm 40. Okay, we have an answer to that one. I don't see any more all caps. So I think we've wrapped it up. Wait a minute. 
Um, which, okay. Which sector do you think they'll be crashing next? Um, all of them. All of them. Um, if you, like, this is the, I don't want anybody to take this as I'm praising them, but this is the brilliance of crashing the energy sector. It crashes everything as a byproduct. So by making fuel in short supply, overpriced, and flatly, it's going to be unavailable by midsummer, and trucks that should roll won't. Not because they can't afford to, because they literally can't fill up. You crash everything. Um, specifically, if I was betting on it, I don't know what's left. I think this is the final coup de grace before they start, you know, rebuilding out of the bloodbath. Um, I guess the financial sector is probably going to get a beaten, and that might help them institute a CBDC, which you're going to hear an awful lot about with the latest shit that's going on right now. Um, let's see, anybody else? One more, I'm going to do it. Uh, Chartreuse on Twitch says, can you share the altcoins you're holding or that you consider buying? I'm buying no alts right now. What am I holding? And these are not buy recommendations. I hold a lot of R. I've done very well with it. I do think we'll have another altcoin season in the next cycle. And I do think privacy coins and coins with really valid use case scenarios will be the ones that will still be here. And I still think in the end, Bitcoin eats everything. So I'm not going to dump my R. Um, I've made a lot of money with it. I like having a bag of crypto that I can have completely anonymous, that I own it or where it goes. But that doesn't mean go out and buy a bunch of it right now, though it's not a bad price to buy at. I own some Atom because I find it is an interesting alternative to Ethereum. I own some Algo because they've done some really great actual projects that actually work. But I dumped most of my Algo and I moved it into, I split it and I made money on it, right? And I moved it between Bitcoin and Atom. I'm not saying to buy Atom. And I, I am very tempted to dump my Atom right now and roll it into Bitcoin. But I actually think it's going to, I'm going to make more money by waiting a while and it's paying a good staking rate for now. Um, Monero, and I have it for the same reason. I, I have Monero because a lot of people spent it with me. I, I don't know that I've ever actually bought any Monero, but a lot of people have spent it with me and I think it's the best way to earn crypto in general. And I have a big bag of Ethereum. And it's not because I would recommend buying it. It's because I bought it when it was 90-something cents. And I think there's if I'm going to take the capital gain sit on it because it's public, you don't go trying to trade Ethereum. you got one address, Ethereum's our account. And I think there's going to be a big spike in Ethereum when they announce that they've successfully completed their migration, blah, 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 blah. And I think it's a – I think long-term Ethereum has got real problems. But I think there's a lot of money left to be made. And so I have very little skin in the game from the beginning, a lot of upside potential. So I'm waiting. If you said – what are you going to, so that's what I have. And I have some other sh total shit, you know, I've got some Sentinel cause I, I believed in that and, uh, it just isn't worth selling right now cause it might recover. Who the hell knows? Um, but if you said between now and the next six months, tell me crypto, you see yourself buying Bitcoin. What other crypto Jack Bitcoin? What other crypto Jack Bitcoin? Are you to the left of the decimal? Do you have at least one whole Bitcoin? No, buy Bitcoin. Uh, what do you, oh, library cards. I have a shitload of library cards because I earn them. You know, and I bought some float tokens. I don't think I have them yet though. Um, but what do I think about library credits? I think that's an example of a use case scenario. 
especially considering the time that they built Library Odyssey. Lightning wasn't ready for prime time like it is now, and if you wanted to be, to be able to allow and empower this tipping and actually have it work, it made a lot of sense. The other side of it is I love, I love Odyssey. I love what Jeremy and the team are doing over there. I want them to win, but it's going to be an uphill battle to prove it's not a security. It is a mined coin that helps, but I'm telling you, man, no matter how altruistic and good a person is, including myself, the temptation to print money is the one ring of power. And I was pushed, prodded, and picked at over the years. Jack, you should, you should back a crypto. Even if you don't develop it, you should come up like a crypto for preppers, a crypto for the underground or whatever. I'm like, well, Monero, right? Um, and I just realized that every time I gave it five seconds of consideration, I wasn't doing it for what the tech would do for others. I was doing it for what, the, for what it would do to enrich myself. And that's why I never did it. Even the things that I hypothesized being a good idea, like, basically being some sort of privacy token backed by Bitcoin with a direct peg was only to enable privacy for Bitcoin to actually be privacy for Bitcoin. I think Taproot, Lightning, and tools that are coming are going to fill that role. So um, I understand why companies make their own crypto. I'm not crapping on them. I'm just saying if, if you're building today for the future, you're either focusing on software, which is a crypto, Or you're focusing on a platform or a protocol or a hardware or a thing. And we don't need any more cryptos. Not in my opinion. Again, I won't, I won't crap on anybody for it. And uh, so real quick, Benya is here saying, uh, library LBC tokens are really cheap at the moment. If you get 5% of YouTube's market share, it will make 200x from the current value. Yeah. If, if ifs and nuts were candy and bus, we'd all have a Merry Christmas and they might. And that would be great. And I love. And Odyssey's done some great shit with upgrading the quality of, I showed you both of the videos today on Odyssey. It's great. It's still if. And anybody that makes a case to me, but the reason to buy this altcoin is that it could go up. You're not wrong. If you'd not take that money, walk into a Vegas casino and go double zeros with it. You could hit 37 to 1 if the double zeros hit on the roulette wheel, and you get one spin, and if you didn't, your money's gone. If you wouldn't risk it that way, don't buy anything but Bitcoin. With Bitcoin, I want you to look at it this way. If you went out and spent that 200 bucks on a steak dinner, had a good dinner with your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever, your significant other sea otter, I don't care what it is, and... After you ate it and it was gone and that money was gone, you were like, it was totally worth it for a good meal. I know the money's gone. I know I could have had it to do something else with. That That's kind of my standard for Bitcoin money for most of you. Is you get If you take sailor's course, if you fully understand what you're doing, you completely comprehend the investment and you want to move some of your like hard-earned saved money into it, go do it. But start out small and just keep accumulating and learn about it as you go. Easy Roast Rabbit. I'll give you one more. Crystal Bear says, Easy Roast Rabbit, oil it, and rosemary is all you need. you got to have some salt. With that, been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are 
Bye.